0: Um, it's a privilege to be here talking about validity. I've um, been working on validity now for a couple of years in earnest. Um, I haven't cracked it yet. You'll not be surprised to hear. Uh, my re- most recent dilemma, I think, is captured by the title uh, on the screen. Does it matter what validity means? And I've been thinking quite hard about this. It's not a rhetorical question, incidentally. Um, I don't think it's even necessarily got an obvious answer, um, so I, I'm really looking forward to the discussion subsequently, and you can help me answer it. Um, I think that it does matter what validity means. In fact, my, my gut feeling is that it matters so much that, ironically, I think we might actually have to ditch the term. So that's my little controversial ending to this uh, seminar today and the starting point for discussion, hopefully. Um, I think it's odd that we can't agree... Uh, what we mean by validity, because we've been trying to agree a definition for the best part of 100 years now. So that's quite some time. And this seminar really is about how we've been trying to agree the meaning of validity for such a long time, and to some extent, why we failed. I was working on validity at Cambridge Assessment, as Joanne mentioned, uh, working in in collaboration particularly with Stuart Shaw at Cambridge International Examinations, and it'd be wrong not to mention him nor um, to acknowledge the support that Cambridge Assessment has given uh, Stuart and I in getting our ideas together and encouraging us to do this work as well. Uh, We're still writing the book. We thought it would be a challenge when we set out on it. We didn't realise quite how much of a challenge it's proved to be. And to to some extent, this seminar is uh, an apology to SAGE, our publishers, for not having finished yet. Um, And also, uh, you know, something of a poor excuse for doing so, but uh, an explanation perhaps of of why we've not quite finished. Because we're trying to bottom out some of these really fundamental issues that um, we're going to need to bottom out before we actually get started on it. OK, so this is where I want to start Does anyone recognise on the left-hand side this? Anyone recognise it? You're going to be brave enough to say yes out loud. You're going to be brave enough to mention your reactions if you've tried to read it. (laughs) Is it from the Bible? It is from the Bible. (laughs) Yeah, this chapter here on the left um, is it's the first page of the chapter on validity by Samuel Messick, um, perhaps the guru of, of validity theory. Um, it was published in 1989 in the textbook Educational Measurement. As Joanne hinted, Educational Measurement is kind of the Bible of the field of educational and psychological measurement. Um, and it's published in four editions so far. In each edition, it is kind of the state of the art in thinking on the key concepts in educational and psychological measurement. And Sam Messick um, uh, prepared the validity chapter there um, in 1989. And it, it's, anyone recognize the picture on the right, incidentally? Uh, K2, actually, I think, which people, according to the internet, according to my vast research on the internet, are saying it is the mountain that you have to climb. And I'm kind of uh, putting uh, this chapter forward as the mountain that you need to climb when it comes to educational assessment, uh, because cracking this nut is one of the hardest. Uh, And this chapter in particular is is one of the hardest things I think I've ever read in the field. Uh, It's 90 pages long. Uh, Those are big pages, incidentally, and they're small words. Uh, So it's quite a read in itself. Uh, And there are some tricky words in there as well, some very tricky concepts. Positivism, um, constructive realism. Hegelian, you know, nomological networks—all these sort of complicated terms get uh, brought to, to bear on this uh, very tricky issue. Okay. Also mentioned that there's uh, a, a classic definition that I've highlighted, rung a ring round at, at the beginning. Validity is an integrated evaluative judgment. I won't go on to read all of it. It's a very quotable definition. And when I first got into um, work on validity, which is probably around the middle of the 90s, um, everyone seemed to be quoting this definition. And now, looking back at it, knowing what I know about validity now, I do wonder whether those people who are quoting it so frequently actually really understood exactly what it was uh, implying. I'm not entirely sure now that I exactly understand what this definition means. And I'm even more controversially not sure that Samuel Messick always understood exactly what he meant by that definition. And and I'll leave that hanging uh, and bring in a bit of justification for that um, suggestion later on. Okay, so I think it's the most elusive of all assessment concepts, but I also think it's the most fundamental of assessment concepts. Uh, And this is what Daniel Koretz, who's a leading thinker from the US, uh, says about validity in a a very accessible textbook he recently published. Says that validity is the single most important criterion for evaluating achievement testing. So it's so important that it's uh, it's finding its way into laws and, and regulations. So the implication of that seems to be that anyone who has any professional responsibility for assessment ought to know something about validity. It's that important, the concept. In fact, it's the kind of concept that we actually trade with the public um, in. So validity, in, in, in many senses, uh, for an educational test developer, publisher, is kind of the seal of approval that they give to their products. It's like a, a kind of MOT test for educational assessment, if you like. Um, so it's that important. That kind of sets up a dilemma, I think. It, it sets up a dilemma in that it's the most fundamental of concepts, but it's also the most elusive of concepts. And particularly if we bear in mind that assessment is so fundamental to our society. Assessment is the way in which we structure society in many ways. Given that assessment is so controversial, it's always being challenged, you kind of think that it it ought to be really important that we know what we mean by validity, the single most important criterion in evaluating it. So that's, really, that's my starting point for today, that dilemma. <coughs> many people find it very hard, very hard indeed, um, to understand what validity means. And I think that's not entirely surprising, because validity has got so many different meanings. And I'm going to start off by illustrating how it's got so many different meanings in so many different fields feels distinct from educational and psychological measurement, which is the field that I'm particularly interested in. (laughs) And even in educational and psychological measurement, where there is some consensus over the meaning of validity, that consensus, well, it's changed over the past 100 years for a start. And I think throughout that 100 years period, the consensus over what validity means has always been a bit fragile. And I think nowadays, particularly as we've come into this new millennium, the consensus seems to be breaking down, uh, in my view. Incidentally, when I'm talking about educational and psychological measurement, I don't want to give you the impression that I'm just talking about tests, I'm just talking about exams. I am kind of talking about any kind of assessment that you might find in education or psychology. So I'm talking about simulations, I'm talking about performance assessments, um, I'm talking about clinical diagnosis, I'm talking about anything uh, related to assessment that might come under that broad banner. Um, so I'm, I'm not taking a, a narrow focus on this, taking a fairly broad one. Um, And I do mean to imply that this concept of validity that I'm interested in is relevant to all of the various branches of education and psychology that deal in measurement assessment. So clinical psychology, um, counselling psychology maybe, um, industrial and organisational psychology, educational psychology, educational testing... And you can kind of see that this field that I'm talking about is quite a broad field and, and maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe that's part of the problem why it's been so hard to define validity, because everyone in those different subfields has got their own interests, maybe. Anyway, coming back to this idea of there being many different meanings of validity in the, in the multiple different fields of um, academic inquiry, I just want to illustrate that, and that will be the beginning of the presentation. And I'm going to illustrate it relatively informally, and I'm going to illustrate it through um, my ever-increasing collection of uh, what I'm calling validity modifier labels. Okay, so a validity modifier label, it's a label that you use to kind of modify the meaning or context of validity. So I'm talking about things like construct validity, face validity, um, intrinsic validity, incremental validity, anything that's uh, a modified kind of validity. So this is going to be my way of illustrating the different meanings in different contexts. Hence my uh, mission to explore strange new literatures and seek out new validity forms. we are doing a lot of that over the past couple of years just to find the way in which validity has been used in all sorts of different domains. Okay, so this is the first of three slides, which is going to be illustrating validities that I'm not talking about. Okay? So as I said, many different fields of inquiry have got their own different conceptions of validity, and I've just highlighted two here, um, law and management. Uh, and I've, These are just illustrative. I'm not trying to um, say that this represents the whole of validity in these fields. I'm just illustrating the fact that there are different kinds of validity in different fields. Um, there are different kinds of validity in philosophy, for example, in many other fields as well. Um, but this is not the kind of validity that I'm talking about. And it is important to define what I am talking about, I think. That's the point of the presentation. OK, um, more interestingly, perhaps, I'm not talking about this kind of validity as well. Validity-specific um, validity specific um, that might be of relevance to education and psychology, but that's specific to quantitative research conclusions. And uh, many of these will be terms that you've heard of, I'm sure, um, internal validity, external validity, population validity, ecological validity, and such like. I think it's very easy to get confused here because these kinds of validity, they are relevant to educational and psychological measurement, okay? but they're not specific to educational and psychological measurement in the way that I'll illustrate shortly they're relevant in the sense that anytime you do any validation research you're doing research so you've got to bear in mind these kind of validities when you're drawing conclusions from them but there's a whole layer of thinking about validity that's quite separate from these kinds of validities and it's important to go into this presentation appreciating that It's also tricky to understand because some of these people who theorise validity for research conclusions, quantitative research conclusions, have also theorised validity for educational and psychological measurement. It's pretty tricky. Uh, Campbell, for a start, has done it. Um, Lee Cronbach's done it. Samuel Messick's done it. And they've all done it in slightly different ways. Um, Campbell kept his writing on this kind of validity, quite separate from his writing on validity for measurement. Cronbach confused it a bit. Messick reinterpreted these for measurement. It's a bit confusing, but bear in mind, this is not the kind of validity that I'm talking about. Uh, and this isn't the kind of r- validity that I'm talking about as well. So this is validity for qualitative research conclusions. And there's been a lot of debate in the social sciences as to whether or not you can have a concept of validity that can cover both quantitative and qualitative research traditions. Okay? And, and these are just um, examples of validities that I've found in the qualitative research literature. Um, some of them are very creative. Uh, and these, I guess, would be from people who think that we need slightly different kinds of validity from the quantitative aspects. So this is validity for qualitative research conclusions or maybe qualitative research outcomes, not for quantitative ones. Again, I'm not talking about this and I'm not talking about the debate between qualitative and quantitative validity, whether it's the same validity. But maybe the debate that's happened in that, uh, those literatures might be able to inform my Question as well. I'm not sure. We'll see. See what you think. Okay, so this is, this is the validity that I'm talking about. <laughs> Can you even read that? <laughs> I think at uh, last count there's about 149 there. I'm not entirely sure. As I say, I've been collecting these validities from the literature. Um, Not really through a systematic uh, um, reading of the literature, just um, randomly coming across them in my readings on validity. But it's quite interesting that I've amassed so many. Um, The ones in red, so I've mentioned concurrent validity, construct validity, content validity, convergent validity. I highlighted the ones in red because I thought they might be the ones that you're more likely to have heard of. Has everyone heard of content validity? Or should I say, has anyone not heard of content validity? or predictive validity, or construct validity, OK? Uh, I'll come back to that point. It's significant. So the ones in red uh, are the, uh, the ones that I think are more likely to be recognized. Um, the ones in black, you, you probably won't have heard of. Many of them are very obscure. Um, there's pr- probably around 30 to 40 of them are actually only synonyms of other ones. Uh, it's confusing literature. Um, although the others are probably relatively independent, although even the ones that are independent, there's quite a lot of overlap of meaning. Um, And that's tricky, really. I mean, that overlap of meaning um, confuses the literature because, in a sense, it's kind of... The invention of these new validity modifier labels is kind of hinting at a a fragmentation of the concept of validity, almost a hyper-fragmentation of the concept, which kind of confuses what we actually mean by it. Despite this kind of hyperfragmentation of the concept of validity, actually what the professions have tried to do over the past 30 years or so is to unify the concept of validity. And if this is confusing, the hyperfragmentation, well, equally, the attempt to unify the concept of validity has also been confusing, and I'll talk a bit about that now. So now I'm going to talk about a consensus definition of validity and its evolution. Okay, so there was a time, about 100 years or so ago, when none of those validities that I've just shown you on the previous overhead existed. Um, That was a time when the mental measurement movement was coming coming to prominence, really, um, in the United States, in Europe, uh, and elsewhere. Um, There were loads and loads and loads of new tests being developed. Uh, Those were tests of general intelligence, tests of specific aptitudes, tests of educational achievements, all sorts of new tests. Um, many of those tests were obviously of poor quality, and I say kind of obviously with scare quotes around it, um, because it's kind of hard to criticise those tests in a context where there, weren't really, there wasn't really any consensus over what actually characterised quality in educational and psychological measurement. So there were many tests that actually looked like they weren't very good, but there wasn't any clear consensus over what um, characterised good. So something needed to be done, and something was done. Um, The professional associations, um, particularly in the States, um, felt a need to regulate professional practice because they didn't want these very dubious tests that many people were developing to to bring down the the profession more generally. Um, So in the first quotation here, we've, we've got an example of the national association. This is a North American national association of directors of educational research who decided they needed to take a lead and preparing, pr- preparing and proposing um, some definitions of key concepts in educational and psychological measurement that could be appropriated and used by the field. Uh, and they come up with a definition of lots of different terms. Um, and this quotation, they're actually defining two things, validity and reliability. So they call validity the determination of what a test measures. Uh, and reliability, the, the issue of how consistently it measures, and that very soon morphed in a couple of years to uh, the quotation below that. And um, by validity is meant the degree to which a test or examination measures uh, that which it purports to measure. Are people familiar with that definition? It's kind of it's the classic definition of validity, um, the very first definition, really, the first consensus definition. Um, just to highlight this was a general definition it was a holistic definition there's basically just one kind of validity and it's all grounded in measurement and that was kind of tricky from the outset because even from the outset there were a lot of people who were using tests just to predict things in the future okay and they weren't interested in measurement per se so quite whether this definition could actually apply to those kind of people those kind of uses um, was controversial right from the outset Okay, so about 20 years later, um, in about 1945, the APA, which is the American Psychological Association, it changed from being an organisation that was basically just about the science of psychology and transformed more into an organisation that would embrace embrace the professionals primarily because the professionals had earlier broken away from the APA, thinking that it wasn't um, meeting their needs. So they thought they needed to do something about them. They brought the measurement professionals in particular back into the field. Um, One of the first tasks that uh, the the new APA set itself was to develop a code of ethics for testing. And it did publish this code of ethics in about 1950, But it found it quite hard to implement it because, once again, there wasn't really any consensus over what characterised quality in educational psychological measurement. So it's kind of a a similar refrain there. So the APA decided that it would set um, a committee, uh, it would give a remit to a committee to develop standards, an official statement of standards for educational, um, sorry, for psychological testing at that point in time. Um, and they, uh, they gave the remit to Lee Cronbach uh, to develop that uh, committee and those proposals. Those proposals went through a number of drafts and they were eventually published in 1954 in this document, The Technical Recommendations for Psychological Tests and Diagnostic Techniques. Um, you see that it's actually got three organisations credited there. It's often just cited as APA 1954, but it was actually the product of three organisations working together, uh, APA ERA. Um, Education Research and NCMUE, which is later NCME, which is the National Council on Measurements used in education at that point in time. So basically, these were the educational and psychological measurement professional organisations. Uh, and I think it's important to notice that they collaborated in, in this consensus uh, statement. It wasn't a consensus just about validity, but frankly, validity was the biggest component of, of this booklet that later came to be called the standards. Okay, um, it had a large, uh, and quite a lot of pages devoted to it. it. It consisted of an introductory section in which the concept of validity was discussed and defined, and then 19 specific validity standards. And the very first validity standard was this one. It said, when validity is reported, the manual should indicate clearly what type of validity is referred to. And I draw your attention here to the, to the, the word type. Okay, so the implication now was that validity, rather than being a general holistic concept, it was kind of coming in types. Uh, and that's not one type of validity, um, but it's four types of validity, and you always need to be clear which one you're talking about. And these were the particular types of validity uh, that were referred to in the very first standards document. Um, content, concurrent, predictive, construct. And as you said, you've, you've kind of all heard about that, and I think that's significant. Uh, It was always assumed that this document, the professional standards, would be updated, revised, as and when necessary. Um, And the second edition was published in 1966. Uh, The 1966 version, it was very similar indeed in its discussion of validity to the 1954 version. The only thing it really did of significance, I think, was to collapse two categories, predictive and concurrent, into one category, which was criterion-related validity. So it's a very similar story of validity, specialised and fragmented, just they collapsed two of the categories. The third edition was published in 1974. Again, it had a very, very similar discussion of validity. Um, And influenced by these ways of thinking about validity, um, during the 60s and 70s, validity became to be seen very much as a specialised concept. So if you're doing um, educational testing, content validity is probably going to be of most interest to you. So content validity came to be seen as this specialized validity for achievement tests. Um, Criterion related validity came to be seen as a specialised validity for aptitude tests. Construct validity came to be seen as a specialised validity for personality tests. It wasn't as quite as simple as that in the standards, but that was essentially kind of the message that was being given. Okay, but then we come down to 1985, and this is, this is a big change actually. <coughs> this is where Samuel Messick comes in again. Um, Samuel Messick, he, he um, was a prominent uh, psychologist by then, um, but in 1975 he published what was to become a really influential paper on validity, and then he followed that up by two more really key papers in 1980 and 1981. And he and others, including Robert. Guyon, who worked in individual and organisational psychology context. um, They essentially changed the way that we think about validity. So instead of thinking about validity as a fragmented, specialised concept, these guys were saying, no, that's completely the wrong way of thinking about validity. There is only one kind of validity, construct validity. So the idea that we should have these validity modifier labels, um, identifying different kinds, different aspects, is is just kind of... um, False. And this led to a sea change, which was recognised in the 1985 standards. So um, you'll see that there's no longer reference to any kinds of validity. Instead of kinds of validity, we've got content-related evidence of validity, criterion-related evidence of validity, and such like. So there's no such thing as different kinds anymore. There's just different sources of evidence. Okay, going on to the um, 1999 standards, this is the fifth edition. This is actually the current edition, although there is an edition being prepared as we speak. Um, It kind of took this unitary conception of validity one stage further, really, or maybe just made it more explicit. Um, I think this uh, standard conception of validity is an homage to Samuel Messick, really, because it's very, very consistent with the way in which he thought of validity. So um, just to characterise it using that quotation there, in the current standards, all all test scores are used as measures of some construct. The validity argument establishes the construct validity of a test. So in a sense, we've kind of come full circle. We've gone from what was originally a general holistic concept, that classic definition of validity as whether a test measures what it purports to measure. Then we will go to a specialised fragmented concept, And then by the mid-80s, and certainly into the 90s, we come back to a general holistic concept that's grounded in measurement. So now, instead of those three categories of evidence, you've got five categories. The first four are essentially just the first three from the previous slides, um, but just shuffled around a bit. But the fifth one's interesting, evidence based on consequences of testing. And I'm just going to leave that one hanging for a while, but I'm going to come back to it shortly. Okay, so uh, just a quick summary of where I've got to so far before I move on. Um, there, was, there was a real obvious practical need 100 years or so ago to reach consensus over the meaning of validity. Um, there was a need to regulate professional practice, um, and there's a need, therefore, to define the characteristics of quality in educational psychological measurement. USA very much took the lead in this, and almost all of the theoretical work on validity has come from North America. But the reason why I asked you whether you'd heard of a content validity, predictive validity, is because I think it's fairly self-evident that those conceptions of validity, uh, they've been appropriated almost everywhere you look. Um, if you find a, valid- a textbook uh, on educational and psychological measurement published anywhere on in the world, they're likely to make reference to the kind of debate on validity um, that the North Americans have really led. So it's genuinely an international concept, I think, even though the literature is basically North American. So on on the one hand, you've got the professional associations who kind of solved the problem of the meaning of validity, and they did it by committee, and they did it by consensus. And I don't really mean to denigrate that in any sense. I think that's a very real achievement. Um, That consensus was very hard won, and obviously it was very valuable too. But I'm just saying that on the other hand... um, there also proved to be quite a lot of resistance to that consensus definition or those consensus definitions. And now, in the section that I've called a fragile consensus, I just want to explain a little bit more about why there's been so much and how there's been so much resistance. Okay, I think the, the kind of resistance to the consensus definitions, these official statements from the professions of educational psychological measurement, um, I think the... I think the the resistance has been least problematic, actually, when it's been most explicit. And this is a very uh, paper uh, just illustrating an explicit challenge to the consensus definition, uh, published by Cattle in 1966, so before the second edition, after the first edition, said that the first edition's consensus was basically premature. Uh, and that he had a much better version of validity, and that was essentially characterising it. We don't need to go into the details of it. I'm just using this slide to illustrate that there were explicit challenges to the consensus definition, particularly after the first standards document. It was a, a, a decade or so of uh, some really interesting debate. And that kind of debate, obviously, following the publication of the first standards, very important, very uh, natural. Um, but having said that, uh, even despite the debate, um, in the next 10 years or so, um, there was a gradual appropriation by many of the big hitters in the field of the conceptualization that the standards had come up with. And this slide is just trying to illustrate that by using um, three different uh, classic textbooks of the time. You may well have heard of some of them. Uh, Essentials of Psychological Testing by Cronbach, Psychological Testing by Anastasi, Thorndike and Hagen's Measurement and Evaluation in Psychology and Education, key textbooks of the time published in multiple editions. So you can kind of track through the multiple editions and, and see how they change in their views of validity, and I've done a bit of that. The standards is at the top. So you can see that Cronbach, to begin, begin with, he, he was dividing validity into logical, empirical, and then a new one, factorial. And that was kind of the, that was the very earliest breakdown of validity, if you like, into logical, empirical, um, and then um, by his 1960 edition of the same textbook, he was using the same categories exactly as the 1954 standards. And that's perhaps not surprising, given that he was the chairman of the committee. 1970, he was using the 1966 categories. Um, slightly more surprising, more interesting, that Anastasia and Thorndike and Hagen, in exactly the same way, they came round to, from having slightly different categories to begin with, falling into the consensus position. So all I'm really trying to ins- illustrate is that is the way in which these consensus standards really influence the big hitters, the thinking in the field. Okay, so more more problematic, I think, than the um, explicit resistance, the explicit debate over um, the meaning of validity, um, was the resistance that was kind of more implicit. And I call it the growth of the black market in types of validity. Uh, And it started. It started before 1954, but the tradition carried on following the publication of the standards in 1954. So we've got Lervinger on internal, substantive, structural, external. Campbell and Fisk, convergent, discriminant. Campbell, writing on measurement this time. Trait, nomological. I call it the the black market in types of validity um, because we're talking about the invention of new kinds of validity beyond the official consensus statement. That's the only point I'm trying to make. It's not always clear to me, not always clear to me, whether these validities were being proposed um, in a way that was a challenge to the standards or just intended to elaborate it. So it's not entirely clear um, whether these are kind of a, an opposition to the standards or, or actually just supporting them. But um, I'm just trying to illustrate that it highlights a trend that we see more and more as the decades go by: um, a trend towards a hyper-fragmentation of the concept of validity, which I think has ultimately obscured its meaning. This was pre 1966, so it's pre second edition. A um, period um, within which debate would only be natural. But I think it's worth mentioning again. In 1966, when we had the second edition, what happened was not that these were sucked into the standards and uh, clarified distinctions that were being made in the standards, but actually the standards moved from having three kinds of vali- four kinds of validity to three. So. Whereas the literature was churning out more kinds of validity, the standards actually resisted that trend and reduced its validities from four to three. I think that's significant. Um, So after 1966, um, even after the publication of the second edition, when it was really beginning to get, the concept was really beginning to get appropriated um, by the the, the big hitters, some of the big hitters, uh, we see the growth of the black market uh, continue. Again, I mean, these are big hitters as well in the field. Lord and Novick in particular. I mean, they talked about the traditional standards version um, of the breakdown, but they also added their own. Empirical validity, theoretical validity. Got some interesting ones like cash validity. Um, Some some useful ones from our perspective, highlighting some quite interesting distinctions. Psychometric validity, edumetric validity. Um, Popham writing kind of the era of... um, criteria in reference testing, introducing a whole new set of validities. So again, this hyper-fragmentation hyper, um, of the concept. Um, remember I said that in 1985, the consensus position um, changed quite radically. We see an official rejection of the fragmented specialised view of validity. Um, so validity modifier labels, don't use them anymore. Now just sources of evidence of validity. Um, The sources of evidence may illuminate different aspects, but they don't represent distinct types. So the treatment that follows does not follow the traditional nomenclature. So it's a very clear change uh, of opinion. All validity is now construct validity. Even today though, the black market is still continuing to trade in these kinds of validity. So the educational and psychological measurement professions through this standards document has officially rejected the idea of types of validity, but if, as I did um, sometime last year, you go through the titles of articles that are being published in leading educational and psychological measurement journals you 're still seeing reference to these different types. Um, so I did a, a study that simply looked at the titles from twenty two <coughs> journals published between two thousand and five two thousand and ten. All I was asking was how frequently was this x validity formulation to be found just in the titles and if you ignore construct validity which is right up at the top in green and construct related validity because they're kind of legitimate validities still so only the other validities that are kind of illegitimate if you like Um, there's still 144 appearances that I found in these journal titles and at first glance I thought well maybe 144 is not very much and then I did a of an envelope calculation and i thought well maybe if a journal publishes around 25 articles a year and we're talking about six years i, I worked out that that's about four percent of titles potentially making reference to these different kinds of validity and these kinds of validity they were officially banned according to the standards in in 1985. so my question is what's going on really um, it's not just that we find reference to these kinds of validity in the literature it's actually these kinds of validity are still being invented to the current day so the black market continues to grow prospective validity retrospective validity translation validity blah 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 as i said what what's going on here there's something i think something slightly odd going on i'm trying to work out what exactly is happening because officially, you've got the meaning of validity according to the professions. They're wanting to unite validity. They're wanting to form a unified concept officially, according to the statement of the, the, the standards. But unofficially, you're getting all sorts of validities being proposed in the literature um, time and time again. And it's, it's not just a, a confusion to someone who's trying to write a textbook on validity, but it, it must even more so be a confusion to a validity novice, someone who's coming to the literature anew. OK, so they're reading books like authoritative textbooks, like the standards. And the standards is telling them, well, all validity is construct validity. There is no validity other than construct validity. And then they are going to the literature, and they're finding not just that all the old ones are, are being uh, referred to still in, the, in publications of, of the present day, um, but new ones are being invented. So what does the validity novice do? I don't know. going to talk about the breakdown of the consensus now uh, ambiguity in the consensus definition now you remember i talked about the five categories of evidence in the 1999 standards and the last one was evidence of consequences well i think that's when the consensus definition started to become really ambiguous that's what i'm going to talk about now because until then validity has essentially been framed in terms of the basically scientific question of score meaning okay and accuracy of inferences from results that's how it had been framed prior to that. But now, with the introduction of evidence and social consequences, it seemed to imply that validity ought to embrace a slightly different kind of question, an ethical question, a question of score use. And Sam Messick again, had quite a lot to do with that. We've got as early as 1965 here. In fact, you can probably find references slightly earlier. Um, Sam Messick was uh, proposing there uh, basically two kinds of evaluation question that you needed to... Um, embrace whenever you're looking at evaluation, uh, educational assessment. So he said, on the one hand, you've got the scientific question of technical accuracy. Is the test any good as a measure of whatever it's purporting to measure? So the classic definition of validity again. But then he said, there's also the ethical question of social value. Should the test be used for its current purpose? Now, initially, Samuel Messick decided that these were two separate questions. That's how he presented them initially. But it seemed in his his work from at least 1980 onwards that he wanted to unite these two questions. And he chose his mechanism of uniting them, the concept of validity itself. And that's what I'm going to talk a bit about now. I think it's quite confusing, because my take on this is his, his view of whether or not he wanted ultimately, to unite these two questions. It seemed to change slightly from his earlier writing to his later writing. But you won't actually find an explicit acknowledgement of that. And it certainly it wasn't an explicit change either. I think it was more a change of emphasis, or at least that's been my impression recently from rereading his work. But it's potentially, although unmarked <laughs> and only a change of emphasis, it's potentially quite, a profound, um, quite profound implications so I'm going to give you a couple of slides that give you my take on Samuel Messick and how his views on validity seem to change over time. Um, and it's, it's just my gut feeling, really. It's very hard to pinpoint him, uh, but it's my gut feeling of how it might have changed. OK, so this, I think, is where we were in 1980. Um, this is early Mas- Messick's. So the validation in those early days was ultimately a question of policy analysis. OK, that's quite a strong reading of that early work. But I think there are reasons to, to do so. So he's got two separate questions. This is his classic matrix. Has anyone seen this matrix before? It's not usually presented quite like this. Yes, no? It's uh, As I say, it, it used to be very popular when um, that message chapul- chapter was particularly popular. So you've got these two separate questions, the um, scientific question at the top and the ethical question at the bottom both evaluation questions that you need to take into account when analysing the, the worth of a, a testing policy, but potentially separable questions, separate questions. The reason why I say that separate questions is because the first is framed in terms of, um, as I say, accuracy, um, but the second isn't framed in terms of accuracy of measurement. It's, termed, it's framed in terms of something else. It's framed in terms of the costs and the benefits of implementing or not implementing So they're quite different kinds of question in this 1980 model, I think. In fact, if you go back and read his early work, you see the distinction that he draws between construct validity and test validity. Or so it seems to me. Construct validity being the narrow scientific question of score accuracy, and that's in cell one. Um, And then test validity uh, being the broader, more political question of the defensibility of test use. And that's kind of the entire matrix. His real insight um, back in the early days, uh, the real insight of this, uh, of this matrix was that the ultimately scientific question of score meaning that I've got in yellow here is informed by all of the other cells as well. So construct validity informs your evaluation of decision-making, consequences and values, and is also informed by evidence from those four cells. So that was his real insight... But ultimately, he was still, I think, at this stage, treating construct validity, the science, quite separately from the ethical issues of score use. Incidentally, self-for, um, consequential validity. Is that something that's familiar? Uh, it's a term that came uh, popular after Samuel Massick's work um, kind of hit the masses. Uh, it was never a term that Samuel Massick used or endorsed because he didn't believe in kinds of validity, did he? He, he believed in consequential evidence of validity, But consequential validity was a name that um, became really popular, a term that became really popular. I think consequential validity actually became a thorn in Messick's side in many ways. I think in some ways there was a little bit of him that may have regretted the way in which he presented his matrix in a way that kind of appeared to combine ethical and um, technical issues. Because so many people seem to misinterpret that cell four. And this is the kind of way in which they misinterpreted it. So they'd say things like, well, performance assessment, that's got good consequences. If, my, if I've got good consequences, that means I've got high consequential validity. Therefore, performance assessment has high validity. Okay? And there was quite a lot of people um, using Samuel Messick to say things like that in the mid-'80s uh, and into the-'90s. But for Samuel Messick, who was ultimately a psychometrician at heart, that would have been... Um, the antithesis of validity, really. I mean, he would say you can't be ignoring the science of accuracy of score meaning. That's ridiculous. You can't be declaring a performance assessment valid if, in fact, it's completely unreliable. That would be the antithesis of validity for him. And many of his papers post 1989, they were actually um, written to kind of debunk that misunderstanding of uh, his view on consequences. But I think when he was trying to debunk this misunderstanding, he actually moved himself right to the other end of, pers- of the spectrum. And I, I think that's kind of, this is kind of where he came to in his later views. So in his later writings, I think that the genuinely ethical analysis, which is where I think he started from, cost-benefit analysis, I think they kind of disappeared from his writings. So the distinction that I think he drew between construct validity and test validity, you don't see it in his later writings. Because he's talking as though all, const- all validity is construct validity, the mantra of uh, of the age, if you like. And if all validity is construct validity, then doesn't that mean that validity is basically this narrow scientific concept? Again, validity um, is construct validity is still informed by consequences, um, values, and, and impacts from decisions, um, but the informing is of the scientific evaluation, not so much of the ethical evaluation. So his later writing. He always seems to be saying, no, validity, that's basically construct validity. It's basically about score meaning. So, so my gut feeling then, really, is that um, in reacting against those who misunderstood his view, um, there's a sense in which he kind of lost his original purpose. Okay, and, and buying into this mantra that everyone was um, referring to, all validity is construct validity, he kind of lost the place for ethics in his discussion. Now, that's quite uh, a radical reading of Messick, but um, I, I think there's a basis for it. The 1999 standards, which I say is the most recent standards, they bought into this narrow conception of validity. So we've got validity refers to the degree to which evidence and theory support the interpretations of test scores entailed by the proposed uses of tests. So I think this is the definition that opened the most recent version of the standards the validity section. And you won't see any reference to ethics there, That isn't about ethics. That's about the science of school meaning. There's no room for ethics in that definition of validity. On the other hand, if you look at the individual validity statements, you find there are quite a few individual validity statements that do make reference to the evaluation of consequences that have nothing to do with school meaning. So that's why I'm saying, you know, even the consensus definition that we've got now seems to be a little bit confused as to whether or not validity is a scientific concept or something that embraces consequences in some other way. Okay. I think this is where we are at the moment. This is my rough representation of where we are at the moment. I'm saying that there's many, many varieties of meanings that are now associated with the term validity. Um, What I've done there is essentially done a Messick-type matrix, but... um, enlarged it a little bit. So I've got columns that say measurement, decisions, impacts and then a for scientific evaluation and ethical evaluation. Um, There's a whole group of people who are leading experts in the field, influential people who are saying we can only use validity to apply to the evaluation of measurement. So people like Denny Boersboom, Greg Sisek, Scriven. So some really big names there who are saying that, no, in my books, validity is only about measurement. Then you've got people like Samuel Messick, the later Samuel Messick in, in my characterization, and the narrow version of the current standards, who are saying, no, validity is about measurement and decision-making. It's still a narrow concept, but actually you can't separate measurement and decision-making. They're essentially the same thing. Then you've got the, the, the third grid there, um, I've called this the broad interpretation of the standards. It does have room for evaluation of consequences, but it's not really an ethical evaluation, and it's not really bearing on score meaning. So it's kind of a, you know, a practical um, concept about whether or not the impacts that you think a test ought to have can be realised. So a different kind of conception of validity. And then you've got the, the broadest, most radical conception of validity, and in that cell I've got the earlier Messick, the later Lee comeback the later Mike Kane, all with question marks. I'm not absolutely certain they'd call themselves, uh, they'd cite themselves in in these cells, but I I think that's probably the best description of them. Um, But some of the leading thinkers (laughs) in terms of validity, if you're in that cell, you're in good company. Um, But these guys, having a very much broader view of validity, which embraces um, measurement decisions, impacts, scientific issues, ethical issues, What's at stake in the debate? Uh, The debate as to whether or not we should define validity as a scientific and an ethical issue. Well, the people in the the bottom right corner would be saying, well, if we do reject ethical dimensions from the concept of validity, the people just aren't going to investigate them. People aren't going to take validation seriously enough because it's not part of um, the concept of validity which is so fundamental for us. So that's basically their reason for including... Um, consequences in the concept and the ethical consideration of concept consequences in the concept of validity the other guys uh, are saying yeah but if we do embrace ethical dimensions then our concept of validity which is so fundamental to our discipline is just going to become so complicated so overburdened that it just isn't going to be of any use to anyone because if you've got a concept of validity that's so big then you know who ultimately takes responsible for it responsibility for it and then the classic, the second bullet point there, that the, the classic dilemma, what, what do you do if you've got a good test from a scientific perspective that's misused? You know, what kind of judgment of validity can you reach then? You know, is it really fair? Is it fair to test publishers, for example, to say you know, it's invalid because it's being used invalidly when it's been designed really robustly and actually it can be used in principle quite well? So you've got a real, real dilemma there. And then if... <laughs> If validity is essentially that overall judgment of the defensibility of a policy, then are you ever going to amass enough evidence in order to be able to reach any decision as to whether or not the policy is valid? You know, who, who is ever going to use the word validity if you define it so broadly? Or whoever, who, who is ever going to declare anything valid or not? So this is, uh, this is my point of departure for my conclusion, if you like. There's no consensus over the meaning of validity at the moment, now, despite nearly 100 years of trying to crack it. So, we've got leading theorists disagreeing radically over its scope. You know, is it measurement, measurement and decision making? Is it overall policy? Is it scientific, scientific and ethical? Most recent edition of the standards is quite ambiguous. It tends to give a quite narrow measurement based definition, which uh, relates to decisions. Um, so, it kind of relates decisions and measurements together. But it also has hints that actually, it's also about the evaluation of the overall policy, but not necessarily from an ethical perspective. It's a bit ambiguous. And in saying that, the standards over the years, well, they've only ever managed to maintain a fragile consensus. So you've got this hyper-fragmentation of validity in the literature, all these different kinds of validity that have been produced over the decades and that continue to be produced to the present day. Does it matter if we can't agree on a meaning of validity? I think so (laughs) it's like if we can't agree what we mean by the term then how on earth can we talk to each other it it almost to me is as simple as that and the final um, quotation again from Koretz if it's so important that it's actually finding its way into laws and regulations then don't we have some kind of professional social moral obligation to have some kind of meaning that we can all agree upon and I was going to ment- I was going to start this presentation by referring to the, um, the objectives the legal objectives that are laid down on offqual our regulator because um, I remember when those objectives were being discussed and they were set down in the ASCOL Act of 2009 um, and the first two objectives were very technical and I, I, I was having conversations and saying yeah but surely we ought to be putting validity into this legislation it, you know it's fundamental you know it, it's What did Correct say? It's the single most important criterion when you're evaluating um, educational assessment. And that's Ofqual's job, to evaluate educational assessment. Surely validity's got to be in the legal objectives. Well, actually, um, in retrospect, validity didn't appear. Um, Reliability appeared, although not necessarily what we'd understand by reliability. But validity didn't um, appear. And in retrospect, I'm kind of quite glad that it didn't appear, because I now realise just how much disagreement there is over the meaning of the word. You know, how can we... On one hand, surely validity ought to be in the legislation, and on the other hand, how can it be in the the legislation if if we just don't agree what it means? Okay, so on to the conclusion, really. You know, has the term validity um, outlived its usefulness? Because I sense that we kind of reached a bit of an impasse now in the literature. There's people explicitly uh, aligning themselves to one of the camps that I put on that um, four-figure table. So people aligning themselves to the the Boersboom-Scriven kind of narrow view of validity, and others to the later um, Kane and Cronbach very broad view. So there's people going going into different camps. This is what I mean by validity. This is what I mean by it. There's a lot of people, I think... um, and I notice this more from everyday conversations with people than from the literature. There's many people who actually use many assessment professionals who actually use validity with, you know, almost no meaning at all nowadays. It's, it's like, um, it's like, validity or valid has come to mean like wicked. You know, it's wicked. It's like oh, that's that's a wicked item. That's a wicked test. You know, it's it's valid. It's kind of like it's got connotations of goodness, but. precise connotations? I don't really know. You know, when I talk to people in educational agencies, um, when I talk to the regulator, when I talk to my colleagues, you know, we, I'm probably just as much to blame as anyone else, we tend to use validity often like that, as though it's kind of generally good but we don't really know what it means and and I think that's a bit of a problem. So I'm kind of coming to the conclusion that maybe the term itself uh, has outlived its usefulness and is actually becoming a stumbling block. And I'm wondering whether we could even ditch the term. So could we ditch the term validity? Um, And obviously, before anyone else says it's a ridiculous idea, I'll just get in there first and say, of course it's a ridiculous idea. You know, it's been our watchword for uh, a century. And when I say watchword, I think that's... um, I didn't really choose that word. It just came to me. And then I thought, yeah, that that really is the word that uh, I want there. It's the principle that we've lived by in educational and psychological measurement. Validity is our watchword. And the second bullet point, that which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. You know, the implication there is, well, you can't just ditch the word validity and hope to solve all of the problems that um, our lack of agreement over its meaning has caused. Um, can we? That's one of the criticisms that people have put to me when I've suggested this. And, and you know, there is something to it. Incidentally, this is, this is King Newton. okay? Get what I've done with that? No? <laughs> Okay, so on the other hand, there are possible reasons why maybe it's not such a daft uh, daft idea to teach the term validity. I think actually at the moment, right now, there's more disagreement over how to apply the term validity than there is over how to characterise quality in educational and psychological measurement. And that's a bit of an odd situation if we are actually there. I think a lot lot of people are raising the second bullet point. A lot of influential people in in my field are are raising the second bullet point, which is that the term validity has become so big now, it embraces so much that even the specialists don't seem to be able to understand what it means. Now, even the specialists aren't really getting what validity is all about. And if the specialists aren't getting it, then obviously the public aren't going to be able to get it. And if, if no one's getting it, then maybe we just ought to rethink and then the third one, I, I'm not sure the extent to which I can substantiate it, but it is a bit of a gut feeling that actually genuine differences of opinion over how to characterise quality in educational psychological measurement, <coughs> they're kind of getting a bit sidelined, those debates, in, uh, you know, in the shadow of the debate over quite what validity refers to, which is the big talking point at the moment. Okay. So m- my question then is, what if we stop talking about validity and thought just more about quality? What if we stopped talking about validation and thought more about evaluation? Um, I, I've deliberately chosen those words um, because they're all embracing and they're not at all technical. You know, quality doesn't have a precise technical meaning in educational and psychological measurement. And I think that's a good thing because it can help us. It kind of begs the question of what's quality um, and it can help us to refocus perhaps on the really important issues that are getting a little bit sidetracked at the moment. So, so maybe it might help if we ditch the term validity and, and got back to the drawing board. Um, I think a lot of people think Samuel Messick's Matri- matrix was a mistake. I actually think um, that it was really useful um, in structuring overall policy evaluation. I think it could probably be refined a bit. Notice that I've added legal evaluation because I think that is quite a separate kind of evaluation that obviously needs to be taken account of in an overall policy analysis. I've split his uses column into decisions and impacts, because we've had a lot of debate that will be um, better directed if it distinguished between those two. But ultimately, I think his matrix was a really neat way of thinking about validity. So although a lot of people criticise it, I would like to um, to return to it, or a version of it. Um, Where we Where we got really hung up, where we went wrong, is by trying to pinpoint which particular cell was validity. We spent such a long time doing that. We've reached such an impasse that it just seems a bit of a a silly debate. Um, What we really need to be focusing on is what constitutes quality in each of those cells. What constitutes goodness, if you like, in each of those cells? So let's forget about validity and kind of think more about evaluation. Uh, All I'm proposing, uh, and it's not very radical, really, it's just a terminological change, i.e. not using validity and just thinking what we mean by evaluation, but it could potentially help us to bypass an impasse. Okay, so, um, yeah, these are, these are the kinds of questions that I think probably aren't receiving as much attention as they could be if it weren't for us being so um, obsessed by this debate over the, the size of validity. So it's not so much whether impacts ought to be part of validity. It's uh, more a case of how, you know, we judge the plausibility of mechanisms for bringing about certain impacts it's not about whether impacts are part of validity they're obviously part of evaluation so the question is how how do we establish the overall value of a testing policy and these are the kinds of questions that i think we're actually um, we've kind of got our eye off the ball at the moment we're not focusing so much on these questions because we're focusing on um, a slightly less interesting question of the scope of validity Um, so just to conclude then uh, validity is dead <laughs> <laughs> lovely for evaluation. and I think that's where I finished Joanne <laughs> thank you, thank you.